So growing up, I played basketball, and uh, there's lots of different skill sets for a basketball player to have. Uh, very few basketball players are good at all the skill sets. So, so me, I, I was a good passer. I could dribble okay, uh, but my strong suit was defense because with defense, you just had to be quick and you had to want it. You know, like if you want to play defense, if you want to be good at defense, you can be good at defense. Um, occasionally, you know, my quickness would help me get into the lane and shoot a close range shot, like a layup. Occasionally I'd blow the layup, but, um, all that to say, I wasn't the best shooter. Like shooting is kind of important with basketball and I was not that good at shooting. Um, with, with a basketball shot, uh, there, there's kind of some basic mechanics that will help you to, to shoot well, to shoot accurately, consistently, um, and so it's not like defense. You can't just, you know, keep shooting your shot the way that you shoot your shot. Because if you're shooting wrong, you're only going to get so good at shooting. And here's, here was my problem. I would have my elbow out. And you got to have your elbow in to have the right mechanic. I had my elbow out. And then I would kind of push. I would try to push the ball to the basket and see where my elbow ends up. It's way down here. My arm's down. I had to get my arm up. Okay? You kind of want your elbow above your eye right there so this is all really important um and and to me it was very very important part of my value was tied up in my ability to play this game so uh all that to say exerting effort like just going out and shooting it just it wasn't good enough it was not going to get me the results that I needed so if you're not a sport if you're not a sports person it would be like I had the car in neutral and you know I could practice as much as I wanted I could press that accelerator but the car in neutral isn't going to go anywhere. You're just going to expend a lot of effort without going anywhere. It's, it's ineffective effort. I had to learn how to exert effort in, in an effective way. And so here's what I did. This is like in eighth grade. Uh, coach set up uh, th- during the summer, you know, uh, coach set up a video on a tripod, and he videoed me shooting my shot so that I could see exactly what I was doing. And, uh, man, it's, it's kind of embarrassing anytime you listen to yourself or see yourself do anything. Um, and, then, and then he told me, practice in front of a mirror. So I'd be in our bathroom mirror going like this, you know, like trying to, trying to train my muscles to do the right thing without thinking about it, to get that elbow in. And then I'd practice the second half of the shot, get that elbow up. And, and I also, like... He's like, if you really want to fix this, you, you can't go shooting long-range shots. You have to practice, like, right next to the hoop. So if that light was a hoop, I'd, I'd be right under it, you know. and I'd shoot like I was four years old and could barely get the ball up. I, you know, no free throws, no three-pointers. And, and I just kind of felt silly because, you know, I'm stuck just right under the goal doing the same thing over and over and over. And eventually, I got better. It, it was a long time, but... And I was never great, but I did get better. Um, But the point of all that is, I could not keep exerting effort like I did and expect different results. I had to learn how to exert effective effort. Effort that worked, that worked better. And so spiritually, we're talking about training for godliness. Like we've been reciting this verse, it's training for godliness. You have, we have to exert effort in training, but just playing hard, just trying harder is not the answer. The Bible is quite clear uh, that Jesus' message is not just try harder. If you want to grow, try harder. I mean, 
trying hard is essential, but we have to learn how to train well. And so if you're here today, and I know there's lots of people gone because it's Memorial Day weekend, but anytime someone comes into church, and I want us to think about church this way, it means they are curious about what it takes to, to change. They are curious about who God is and how he wants to relate to us. And so that means that no matter who you are, whether you're a lifetime church attender or a first-time church attender, the church should be one of the most inviting places for seekers of any kind, of any background. Every one of us is welcomed as we are, but we're all invited to change. We're all invited to leave here with convictions and, and beliefs that would change us. And Jesus is the answer, no matter who you are and what problems you come seeking to solve today. I'll just say that up front. Jesus is the answer to my problems, your problems, and our world's problems. And you might think, dude, that's kind of generic. I've already accepted Jesus. I know where I'm going when I die. So what else have you got? Is that really all the church has to offer? And uh, yes, Jesus really is all the church has to offer. But that's just that like the whole, I'm going to heaven when I die. That's just one way that Jesus is the answer to our problems. The message that Jesus gave, the good news that he brought, included going to heaven when you die, but it was about how you live right now. In Matthew 4, 17, it, it records the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And he says, repent, change your mind, change the way that you think, because the kingdom of heaven is right here. It's at hand. And the spirit of Jesus is still proclaiming that same good news. If we would choose to repent, if we would choose to turn away from life our way and, and, and choose to say yes to life God's way, we will see that the kingdom is right here among us. Anybody who wants to follow Jesus can. And it's not just that one-time decision that, that's important Baptism as a sign, a symbol of that decision, that's important. But this is about learning to embrace it in all of life. A call to follow Jesus with our whole lives. And so we have these different terminologies or these different terms for Christians. There's, you know, believers, disciples, Christians. It's all the same thing, really. Lots of different names for the same thing. Because we cannot be a believer and not be a disciple. And it's, it's, it's hard for us to think this way and to live this way, but it's possible to believe that the kingdom of God is available right here, right now. It's, it's possible to live as a trainee under Jesus, a, a student. So that means that you can learn how to live life God's way in your workplace, your family, your church, your friendships, and even the people who kind of annoy you. Being Jesus' trainee, it's going to take effort. That, this is, this is our, our topic today. It's going to take effort, but there is no earning here. Grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Effort is an action, whereas earning is an attitude. So, so if we are serious about our training, we're going to make effort. We're going to do things. We're going to take action, but we have to learn how to take action that actually helps us. And not just action where 
we pat ourselves on the back because we're doing something. <laughs> so let's, let's read our passage today. It's 2 Peter chapter 1. It'll be on the screen. And then we're going to dive into it and kind of break it down. So 2 Peter, this is written by Peter, uh, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers. And he writes to the church and says, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection or brotherly kindness, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have these qualities is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the, 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 the center of this passage is Peter says, make every effort. And everything around it, I think, is telling us what kind of effort we are to make. So we're going to look at five characteristics of effective effort. Not just that we, not just that we do stuff, but we, we know why we're doing it. We, we know the benefit that should come from doing it. So kind of like my jump shot, right? You know, like, there's a certain way that you have to exert effort in order to maximize the effectiveness of that. And the first characteristic of effective effort is that we know when we exert effort in our walk with God, it does not change our standing with God. And we see this in verse 1. Peter says, to those who through the righteousness of our God. So it's God's righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus, that we've received faith meaning we're right with God because of what he's done, not what we've done. We have this faith because it's a gift from God and not because we've worked it up ourselves. And this faith is precious. Precious is ours, is what he says. But an another way of translating this is a faith of equal standing. So, so, so there is no change in standing uh, based on what you do or don't do in your, in your walk with God. And, and I think, you know, if we would have gotten this letter from one of our heroes in the faith, that would be incredibly encouraging to us. And Peter, Peter was a pillar of the faith. He, he, was, he was one of the founders, if you will, humanly speaking, of the church. One, one of the lead leaders, the top level leadership. And he's writing to the church and saying, your faith is just as precious as mine. And I think that's important for us to remember because it's easy to slip into legalism, which is a mindset of, I deserve good from God because I've given this to God. I've, I've been good, so I deserve to get good back. Or, this is the opposite of legalism. 
I haven't been good enough. So I deserve bad things to happen to me. And it's not our righteousness that gives us secure standing. It's, it's Christ's perfect righteousness. So you might wonder, and you should ask this question, because other people will, why exert effort at all if what we do doesn't change our standing? And that leads us to our second point. We exert effort because of who we experience as we exert effort. It's because of the relationship that's available. Um, Jesus is who makes heaven great, right? And everything goes how he wants it in heaven. And you can have that right now as you learn to exert effort with him. So, so let's look at verse 2. This is where I'm getting it from, verses 2, 3, and 5. But verse 2 says, May grace and peace be multiplied. So, it, so you're securing your standing, but there's all the grace and peace available to you if you want it. May it be multiplied to you. And then he says in verse 3, God's divine power has, look at this, this is an incredible promise. It's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So we're told to train to be godly, but the only way that we can do that is because God has already made available everything that we need for life and for godliness. So the whole reason we exert effort isn't to earn anything, but it's to enjoy God. It's to experience the life with God that he came to bring. I mean, we ought to want heaven just because that's where God reside, resides. That's where everything goes his way. And, and we think his way is the best way. So, so we exert effort now because we think that that's available in some measure right now. Just like Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is available. We just have to change the way that we think. Not me first, not me-centered, but Christ first, Christ-centered thinking and living. And this is an ongoing process. It's all available, but we have to learn how to connect with God's power. We have to learn continually how to repent, how to see God's presence and God's power all around us. So the third characteristic of effective effort is Ultimately, if, if we're exerting effective effort, it will express itself in love. Uh, Peter gives us this list in verses 5 through 7, uh, and the, the whole list culminates in love. There's lots of lists in the New Testament, and they all culminate in love. And I think it's because Jesus said the greatest command is to love God and to love others. That's, that's the second greatest command is love others. And so if, if we're exerting effective effort, it looks like growing in love relationship. And, and the word knowledge is sprinkled throughout our text probably three or four times. Knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowledge of God. And this isn't just knowing about someone like, okay, I can tell you what Rose does. I can tell you when her birthday is. But it's knowing why does she do those things? What does she care about? What is she like? And it's the same way with God. He doesn't just want us to know about him, but to know him personally. So effective effort also will result in a rewarding life. This is the fourth characteristic. Uh, verses 9 through 11 
can be summarized, I think, by just saying effective effort results in a rewarding life. He, he starts by saying the opposite. If, if, you, uh, if you don't do these things, or he actually says if you don't do these things with increasing value, like if you don't grow in these things, then you're nearsighted and blind. So that's not a rewarding life. If you're not exerting effective effort, it will not be a rewarding life. So instead, he says, pursue it and you'll never fall. And he doesn't mean you'll never sin, but he's saying, in contrast to going through life blindly, you're going to go through life marked by progress with an increasing awareness. You won't be blind, you'll be aware of what's around you. And then, and then he concludes verse 11 by saying, you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. And so that, honestly, it just sounds a lot like godliness has value for all things. Holding promise for both the present life right now. You don't have to walk around life blindly. But it also has value for the life to come. So I think a good diagnostic question to ask ourselves from time to time is, am I being more fulfilled as I walk with Jesus? Is my life more and more fulfilling? Not easier or better from the world's standards, but am I fulfilled with Jesus? And if it's not, that doesn't mean necessarily you're not a Christian. It just means you can, like you're missing out on something. And so, so reach out to someone, get help. I've been there. We, we've all been there. But it, you don't have to stay there. It's going to take hard work, but we have to learn how to work effectively. And we have to believe that this really does result in a rewarding life. The most rewarding life. And so the, the fifth and the last characteristic we'll look at from this passage is effective effort is marked by persistent intention. This is an ongoing process. We see this in verses 5, 8, and 10 where Peter says, if these qualities, this, this list of qualities, add your faith goodness to goodness knowledge to knowledge self-control, etc., um, culminating in love, if these qualities are yours, but here's the important part, if they're yours and if they're increasing, then you'll be effective. And so this is a process that's never finished, but we've got to keep moving. We've got to keep moving in the right direction. And so this past week at my small group, uh, we're, we're a bunch of guys, different ages, uh, both physically and spiritually. We have different experiences, uh, different gifts. But here's the thing. One of the guys said, you know, all of our things, all of our prayer requests, like, they're kind of the same. Like, it's all, for all of us, we're all looking to take the next step. <laughs> and I'm like, exactly. Because if these qualities are yours and if they're increasing, you will not be ineffective and unproductive. You will be effective and productive in your relationship with God. And so it's all about partnering with people in order to just take the next step, the next step, the next step. And that requires persistent intention. So we got to be honest with ourselves. If, if we got to have persistent intention, what keeps us? from persistent intention? What keeps you from ongoing intention to take the next step? I'd encourage you to, yeah, be honest about that and then find a way 
to tie the gospel in there. Like if suffering, and, and that is a difficult hurdle to overcome, no matter what your suffering is. But if suffering prevents you from taking the next step of obedience, tie the gospel into your hindrance. Like the good news is that after Jesus suffered, he was resurrected. And so even if I have to suffer for a long time, I know there's a resurrection coming. I can enjoy that resurrection the most as I pursue obedience. I can look forward to that best. I can live in this hope as I say yes to Jesus now. His suffering was not ineffective. It accomplished a lot. And so even though I don't know why I'm suffering now, I can trust that God is accomplishing a lot through it. So, we all move towards, we, we all take steps towards whatever seems good to us. And Dallas Willard, he's one of my favorite uh, teachers. He's, he's passed now. He's been dead for about five years. But uh, Willard set forth this model for change, and I just added the circles because if you've been around, you just know I like diagrams and pictures. Um, but his, his model for change, his model for change is vision, intention, and means. You have to have a vision for where you're going. Taking the next step to where? To where? To what? Why? You have to have a vision of where you're going. Intention is, are you willing to do what it takes to get there? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? And then the means is, okay, so what's it actually going to take? If you're willing to do whatever, what are the actual things that you have to do? And so again, for, for me, it wasn't just about improving my basketball shot, honestly. Like, it's kind of an idol for me, basketball was. It was, it was a place I f- found a lot of my identity. It was about being successful. That was my vision. A better basketball player equaled a successful person. And my, intent, my intention was, will I do the practice? Like, do I want it bad enough? And sometimes I did and sometimes I didn't. But I already shared with you the means. Getting videotaped doing my little practices in front of the mirror. That, that, those were the means, you know, standing right under the goal and shooting, shooting shots. Those are the means. And, and, and we have to do this. We have to engage this process spiritually. And so prayer, that, I mean, that's a great means. It, these are dis, I'm going I'm to focus on the means right now. Disciplines like prayer, Bible reading, corporate worship, serving, you know, making coffee in the morning, that can be a discipline. But, but what's, your, what's, your, what's your vision for why you do that, for why you read the Bible? And how strong is your intention? We have to have all three because if we're not in that, in that middle uh, overlap where the three uh, asterisks are, um, we're not going to keep going. Or we're going to keep going and we're going to change into someone who we really don't want to be. So there's all sorts of ways where you're already doing things. We're already all moving towards what seems good to us. We just have to continually repent, continually change our mind. Okay, God, what what is best as I drive to work in the car? What's the best use of that time? What do I really intend for my life? This has implications for all of life. Godliness like our verse that we said together says, it has value for all things. And so as we examine our vision, our intention, and our means, 
one question that I've been thinking about this week, which has really helped me to shape my vision rightly, is who lived the best life ever? Who, who, who had the, the best life? King Solomon had power, money, and women. I mean, Warren Buffett has power and money. LeBron James and Steph Curry. Steph Curry, man, his jump shot. Whew, you know? It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. But who really has the best life? The, the person who's retired and has all the money that, that they can travel the world. Uh, we're all being bombarded with messages about who has the best life. But we have to answer that question honestly and intellectually for ourselves. We have to answer that question because that's the vision we're going to move towards. And, you know, what if you answered it Jesus? And not just because you know that's the right Sunday school answer, but if you thought through, okay, Jesus was never even married. He, was, he, he didn't have kids. He didn't have lots of money. He had friends who betrayed him or let him down. Could it possibly be true, honestly, that Jesus has and had the best life ever? Well, why? How could that be true? What did he have that, that could put him in that conversation? How about perfect love relationship with God the Father and God the Spirit? What about full understanding of who he is and why he came, what he's doing? I think we have to reach the point where, or we have to be moving towards that, that vision for ourselves. And we exert effort to become the type of person that he is. Even though he's perfect and we're not, we know that we can be perfected. And so we exert effort because this grace this, this free gift and activity of God, it inspires every effort in our lives and grace forgives every mistake. So we're secure, but we're also at the same time compelled to change, to move, to act, and to learn the way of effective effort. So let's pray together. And talk to God about how you want to change, uh, what you want to see changed in, in your own life. Maybe there's persistent destructive habits something you've tried to stop on your own, but you haven't been able to. Maybe it's good things that you wanted to do, wanted to add into your life, but you haven't. What would make your effort more effective? How could you learn to rely on God's power?
God, no matter how bad our habits are, uh, no matter how much progress we've made with you up to this point, uh, we need you. And we need our vision to be realigned of who's lived the best life and what the good life looks like for us. If there's anyone here who's, who's hopeless and just doesn't think that God's power and presence really is available to help them change, Holy Spirit, I pray you would hound them before they leave today and that they would even confess it to you and to someone else if, if you lead them to do that. Teach us how to exert effort with you, Jesus. Teach us the way of effective effort. And as we train, <laughs> make us aware of when, where, when our intention uh, is weak because our vision is weak and we really don't care about what means it takes because we just don't want it bad enough. So would you change us to want it to want you badly please continue speaking to us help us to hear your voice clearly